Well, tonight we'll kind of draw to a conclusion um, uh, um, my teaching for a period of time. And, you know, we are blessed that Randy and others uh, uh, share. I was thinking about, I was thinking some of the lessons that I brought because this wasn't a series and yet how much uh, most of them fit together outside of probably the first one uh, on creation. Uh, I want to briefly mention if you recall, I talked about Buster one night, and um, you know I've tried to use some stories that would mean uh, that would be meaningful and something that we can relate to. And uh, I don't know how y'all feel about stories, but Jesus used parables and a lot of stories so people could get it. I get it with a story. I mean, uh, you can only take theology so far, you know, and. Not that it's not adequate, but I need the point illustrated, and I need it made real in my life. Well, with regard to Buster, really, Buster was uh, a guy we had at school, and he ruled the campus. And uh, the whole idea was of that message was we have to learn to forgive the Busters in our life. We've all been offended. We've all been hurt. Some people have been hurt very deeply by situations or people in their life. And sometimes they harbor that and it's hard to forgive. If you've ever served in, and I guess everyone here has in one role or another, is, you know, praying for other people, uh, at a, at a church building or at a, uh, retreat or somewhere, people, you're always dealing with Forgiveness. I'm not so sure it's not the most difficult thing that Christians wrestle with. I just can't forgive that person. I can't let go of it. And they harbor the, uh, the resentment and the bitterness. And then I shared with you, uh, another story. The story I called The Greatest Game. And The Greatest Game was all about a real, uh, individual who developed retinal cancer that, uh, uh, had a cell phone and he got calls, you know, about the time we were getting ready to start. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but um, Jake Olson uh, went to the University of Southern California, had retinal cancer, and went totally blind. And the coach was just uh, so in love with Jake over the years. Um, he let him participate with the football team, though he was blind. And Jake's one uh, goal in life was to play in one game. And the whole story, the message uh, for you and I was, we can help somebody else in life have their greatest game. And sometimes it's just the little things. It's, it's the very simple things. And then last time, I shared with you what I thought was the thrilling story of Levi. Because we don't usually think of Levi, uh, the man Levi, we always think of Matthew the Apostle, the Gospel writer. But what kind of rascal he was before he became Matthew. I mean, the guy was as worldly as you can get, and he had some of the most worldly friends, and he wasn't very welcome, and yet Jesus came and uh, met up with him. He welcomed him into his house. And the whole message there was, out of that message was that we could learn we accept one another 
although uh, as God in Christ has accepted us. And I think that's so hard for us to do in our culture and in our time. It's hard to accept someone who is different. And that's Levi. Levi is the person with whom we fundamentally disagree. I mean, so they may not just be a Democrat, you know. They may be something else. And we, we just don't care for them. We don't get along. And we don't want to get along. And we're not interested in a conversation or welcoming them. But yet, we went to Romans 15 and 7, accept one another. So difficult to do. As God in Christ has accepted you. And then I illustrated to you how that God accepted me at a time in my life. And that's how we accept others. Okay? Tonight, I want to talk about finding the door to joy. Now, we've had lessons on joy. Like, I mean, you couldn't count them all. I've shared a few. Uh, Jackie has shared a, a number, you know, throughout the book of Philippians. Randy has shared lessons on joy. And guess what? Most of us still have a problem with joy. I mean, we're not real happy. And a lot of people who we meet, they're just not happy. And yet we've heard the message. What is it that we're missing? So I thought I would just talk about finding the door to joy tonight. And, you know, it comes with a story. And I think maybe the story will illustrate the point. So, here we are. It's 6 o'clock a.m. We're in Hamilton, Bermuda. There's a 92-year-old man. His name is Johnny Barnes. Johnny Barnes is standing out there on a roundabout. Now, those of you who have been in Lubbock for a long time, you know what a roundabout is. Because we had one out there on South Avenue Q before the interstate was put through. It was a circle. You know, and you'd go around the bout, and it would take you in about five different directions. You turned off the way that you wanted to go. So, Johnny Barnes is out there on that roundabout in Hamilton, uh, Hamilton uh, uh, Bermuda. And what is he doing? He's waving at people. He's waving as they drive past. He's been there since about 4 a.m. And he's going to be there till about 10 a.m. He's not asking for money. He's not begging for food. He is not protesting. He's not complaining. He's not picketing. He's not making a political statement. And he's not loitering. What is he doing? He's making people happy. Johnny wears a straw hat. You know, he's got a salty beard. His eyes are bright. His teeth are white. His skin is like leather. It's dark. I mean, 92 years old, the years has bent his back. It has slowed his step. But it hasn't siphoned his joy. So, it, he waves at them. He's waving with both hands. You know, back and forth. So, He's, he blows a kiss to a commuter. He blows a kiss to a taxi cab driver. And, I love you, he shouts. I'll love you forever. I love you, darling. And they love him. Bermudans call him Mr. Happy Man. They route their morning drive around that roundabout just so Johnny can wave at them. 
One morning, sure enough, a cranky old woman, and it could have been a cranky old man, but it was a cranky old woman. She was determined. She was not going to make eye contact with Johnny. You know, we've met him, raised on vinegar, weaned on sour pickles, argue with the stop sign. Yeah. But she ended up looking this way. And when he smiled, she smiled. And another bitter attitude bit the dust. Johnny's philosophy is simple. We human beings have got to learn how to love one another. You know, worldwide, people profess that happiness is their most cherished goal. I have a friend. His name is Vince Moncrief. Vince Moncrief was the smart one at school when I was going to school. Uh, we ran track together and we were really good friends. But Vince went on. He became a tenured professor in physics and in um, uh, mathematics at uh, Yale University. And visiting with him once, he told me in the three-century history of Yale University, the one course that more people enroll in than any other course was a course that's been offered on happiness. Surprising, isn't it? We ever stood in the, you know, in a checkout line at at, uh, at a grocery store or whatever? I mean, there's magazine covers everywhere. What are they doing? They're promising everything from sexual happiness to financial freedom to contentment. I mean, the other day I googled happy hour. Well, big mistake. I mean, <laughs> in one second, I mean, I got 75 million options just begging me, you know, to click onto their website. But see, marketing companies, they get this. And uh, TV commercials. Boy, they make some great promises. I mean, want to be happy? Buy this uh, hand cream. Want some joy? Sleep on this mattress. Buy this pillow. Sleep on these Giza cotton sheets, whatever it is. You know, want to feel younger? Want to look better? You know, use this doctor-endorsed product. For delight, eat at this restaurant. Drive this car. Wear this dress. I mean, nearly every advertising strategy portrays the image of a joy-filled person. The other night, I watched 48 hours from time to time. I just enjoy watching that show. But they had an advertisement, and I mean, the advertisement was on Preparation H. So, (laughs) before the guy uses the product, he scowls and he frowns, and then he sits. And then, then afterwards, He's the image of joy. And I thought, hmm, preparation H. That H must stand for happy. (laughs) Happiness. See, everyone craves it. Everyone benefits from it. Happy people enjoy happier odds of a stronger marriage and lower odds for a divorce. Superior work performance. They're also healthier resulting from a bolstered immune system. In one study, researchers found uh, in an analysis that there is a correlation between happy people and fatter pocketbooks. And another analysis of 25 studies indicated that happy people are more effective leaders. I mean, they're much more effective than the negative Nancys. See, happiness helps everyone, but fewer people are finding it.
only one-third of Americans surveyed said that they were happy. And there's been a nine-year uh, study done by the Harris Polling Group. And they do a survey once a year on happiness, American happiness. And the highest index of that polling has been 35%. What does that tell you? That there's a perpetual grayness that overshadows two out of three people. See, it tells us that smiles are in short supply. By some estimates, clinical depression is ten times more rampant now than it was just a century ago. And the World Health Organization, if we can trust them, they estimate that depression will become the second leading cause and the second leading cause of disease worldwide. You know, it used to be that older people were happier. But, you know, most of us look forward to slowing down to a little change of habit, a change of pace. But people in their 60s and their 70s, they generally scored higher in the areas of contentment and appreciation of life. That's changed also. See, age does not seem to bring the satisfaction that it once did. How can this be? You see, we have education. uh, uh, Education is accessible to most. We've made advancements in everything from technology to medicine. And yet 66% of us can't find an adequate reason to check the yes box on the happiness questionnaire. So what's the blame? Well, some would say genetics. But genetics are not the blame to the degree that someone might think. Heredity, yes, may influence as many as, as much as 50% of our disposition. But what about the other 50% that's under our control? So what's up? How do we explain all of the gloom? Well, the answers are varied. And they're complex. But among them must be this idea. We must be using the wrong door looking for happiness. The often used front door that people use for happiness is the one that's described by the advertising companies. They say acquire. They say aspire. They say retire. Drive faster. Dress trendier. Drink more. Happiness depends on what you hang in the closet, what you park in the garage, what you mount on the trophy wall, what you wear on your ring finger, you know, what you put on the dining table. Advertising media insists that happiness happens. You lose the weight. You know, you get the date. You find the mate. You discover your fate. It's wide. This front door that supposedly leads to happiness. And yet for all of its promises, it is failing to deliver. In a classic study, psychologists determined that recent winners of the Illinois State Lottery were no happier than recent accident victims who were consequently disabled. A shocking study. The two groups were asked to... Asked to rate the amount of pleasure they receive from just everyday simple activities. Small but enjoyable things 
things like just chatting with a friend on the phone or watching TV, a favorite program, or eating breakfast, or laughing at a joke, or receiving a compliment. But when the researchers analyzed the results, well, they found that the recent accident victims actually reported gaining more happiness from these everyday pleasures than the lottery winners. Apparently, even the thrill of winning the lottery begins to wear off. More money. Well, more money makes truly poor people happier insofar as it relieves the pressure from everyday life. I mean, getting enough to eat, having a place to live, adequate medical care, those things. But, you know, once people reach middle class income level, even big financial gains don't seem to yield very much, if any, in the increase in happiness. Americans who earn more than $10 million a year annually, they report a happiness level that's only slightly more than, well, the blue-collar workers that they employ. You see, we think that money will bring us lots of happiness for a long time. And actually, it brings a little happiness for a short time. We've all seen happy peasants. We've seen miserable millionaires. So, there's another option. And it's that other option that I want to mention tonight in our search for happiness. The other option to find the door to happiness does not require a credit card. It doesn't come with a monthly mortgage. It's not a stroke of fortune. It doesn't demand an airline ticket or a hotel reservation. It doesn't stipulate you have to have a Ph.D. and M.D. or some blue blood pedigree. Age, ethnicity, gender, they're not a factor. Balmy climates and blue skies, Botox, they're not mandated. You don't have resources for psychoanalysis, plastic surgery, or hormone, ther or hormone therapy? No problem. You know, you don't have to change jobs. We don't have to change cities. We don't have to change looks. We don't have to change neighborhoods. We don't even have to change churches. But we might need to change doors. You see, the motto on the often used front door says, Happiness happens when you get. The sign on the lesser used back door counters Happiness happens when you give. When volunteers were put in a functional MRI scanner and they were told that they would be giving some of their money to charity, the areas of their brain associated with pleasure, like food, sex, they lit up like Christmas trees. Giving to help others triggers dopamine. And another study of a team of social psychologists distilled happiness factors into eight common denominators. And two of the first three involve, well, just helping others. You see, happy, contented people devote a great deal of time to their family, to their friends, to their church, to a life group, nurturing and enjoying those relationships. And they're the first to offer a helping hand to co-workers and passers-by. So think of the times that doing good for someone else was a game-changer in their life. I mentioned this in one of the earlier lessons. 
And several of you made mention of just little things that perhaps you had done that made a difference in someone else's life. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Acts 20 and verse 35. Happiness happens when we give it away. We can't control our genetics. We're not in charge of the weather. We have no control over the traffic. We have little, if any, influence on the occupant in the White House. But we can always increase the number of smiles in our community. We can lower the anger level in our city. And I think Lubbock, as a rule, does a great job for a a metro-type area. But yes, we can help other people sleep better. We can help them laugh more, hum more, uh, hum instead of grumble, walk instead of stumble, and we can lighten the load and brighten the way the day uh, for other human beings. And as a result, we can find a newfound joy. That's the unexpected door to joy. And guess who's standing at that entryway of our new discovered doorway to welcome us? Jesus of Nazareth. All of you have read the Gospels. I mean, you've read them many times. You know, Jesus was accused of much. But, you know, Jesus was never called a grump. He was never labeled a sourpuss. Uh, He was never said, you're a self-centered jerk. People didn't groan when He appeared. They didn't duck for cover when He entered the room. He, He called people by name. And He listened to their stories. And He answered their questions. He He visited the sick. And He visited their sick relatives. And He helped their sick friends. He fished with fishermen. You really think Jesus liked to fish? I mean... He ate lunch with a little guy and he spoke words of resounding affirmation. He went to weddings. I mean, he was placed in charge of the wine list at a wedding. He went to so many parties, we discovered in our story of Levi that he was criticized for hanging out with a rowdy group of people and people of questionable character. But thousands came to hearing. Hundreds left their places of work to follow Him. They shut down their businesses and they walked away from careers to be with Him. What was this purpose statement? Here's how it read. It's in John 10 and verse 10. I came to give life with joy and abundance. John 10 verse 10. That's from the voice. I came to give life with joy and abundance. So Jesus was happy. And He wants us to be the same. You know, when the angels announce the arrival of Messiah, they proclaim, this is good news of great joy. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. I did a review of Young's Concordance. Then I went to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And then I went to Bynes' Dictionary of New Testament Words. But I did for a reason. I discovered that Scripture has more than 2,700 passages that contains words like joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, 
pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, blessing, and exultation. What did that say? I know what it says to me. It says our joy level matters to God. So even when Jesus spoke of death and sin or death and the needs of the human heart, He did so with hope. He brought joy to the people of first century Palestine. And He wants us to bring joy to the people of our generation. And He's enlisted some special agents to do it. You and me. Agree. Not an easy task. I mean, the people in our world, they can be moody. They can be fickle. They can be stubborn. And you know, that just describes Tracy's husband. We need a plan. We need instruction. No wonder the Bible has so much about finding joy in the act of sharing it. The New Testament contains over 50 one another statements. These are practical principles for making happiness happen. I shared a list of ten with you in an earlier message. I want to mention those same ten again because they're worth repeating. They are how we make happiness happen. How? Because people ask, how can I make it happen? Number one, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 11. Another way, bear with one another their burdens. Quit talking about your burdens. Ephesians 4 in verse 2. And how about regarding one another as more important than you are? Philippians 2 in verse 4. And then greet one another. Romans 16 and 16. Pray for one another. James 5.16 Serve one another. Galatians 5.13 Accept one another as God in Christ has accepted you. Romans 15 and 7 Admonish one another. That we do with truth and pointing out the truth of the Gospel. Colossians 3.16 Forgive one another. Again, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And love one another, 1 John 3 and verse 11. You see, we can all open the door to these one another passages. We can begin a happiness project. And I think that if we do, that we will discover a biblical truth and a gem that makes a remarkable difference, not only in our life, but in the life of others. I wanted to suggest just one of these that gets overlooked so often. It's what Paul said in Romans 16 and 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, Paul gave these instructions to the Romans. But he repeated them two times to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 20. In 2 Corinthians 13 and 12. And then the same words to the church of the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5.26. Peter, well, he flew the friendliness flag. He said in chapter 5.14 of the first epistle, greet one another with a kiss of love. See, we tend to overlook these passages. Eh, why the big deal? Why should we be careful to greet one another? 
The answer is, it's just out of respect. Respect is mindfulness of another person's situation. Respect says hello to the new kid on the block. It to the new attendee at church. Respect says good afternoon to the cashier at the checkout stand. It's respect to your server at a restaurant instead of just demanding that they get you something. A greeting in its purest sense is an expression of goodwill. Simply greeting someone, it's not that hard. But it makes a significant difference. And this is how happiness happens. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Be the person that is thankful. Thank others for their thoughtfulness, for their kindness, for their generosity. I like the illustration I used in an earlier message. Be the happiness truck. You know, be the truck that other people are happy to see. I mean, I called it driving the Blue Bella ice cream truck. (laughs) Drive, though, the happiness truck wherever you go. And we do that by greeting others. Researchers at Penn State University concluded that huggers are happier. In another study, they linked hugging to a diminished rate of sickness. So, greet people for your sake and experience the joy of just showing people that they matter. And greet people for their sake. I mean, what is small to you, it may be huge to someone else. And most of all, we greet one another for Jesus' sake. He said, insofar as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Matthew 25 and 40. You and I inhabit a lonely planet. Maybe y'all don't think I do very much, or much goes on in my life, but a lot goes on in my life. I just wish you could read the emails that I receive from family, from loved ones, from um, cherished relationships, from classmates. I wish you could sit at lunch. That's one thing I do. I sit at lunch with a lot of guys and you would never know who they are. But they need someone to be a sounding board for them so that they will listen. I I wish you could sit in on a telephone conversation. What I'm telling you is broken hearts populate the planet. Worry, anxiety, fear, doubt, they consume the hearts of so many believers. Discouragement is mummifying countless lives. The world is desperate. Yes, they're desperate for happiness. And we may not be problem solvers, but we can bring a few smiles. We can bring a smile to a few faces. And we can bring happiness to our corner of the world. We can all be a Johnny Barnes. I mean, wouldn't you like to be a Johnny Barnes? I mean, when's the last time you felt that that infectious laughter and fun from someone? I mean, happy to see you. Greet one another and find the door to joy. Encourage one another. Bear with one another their burdens.
regard another as more important than you. Greet, pray, serve, accept, admonish, forgive, and love. That doesn't cost a dime to do any of those. And I'm telling you, these ten things, if acted out by the body of Christ, it will heal our nation's ills. It will reverse wokeness. It will revise critical race theory. And it will be a healing bomb for racism. And it will bring peace into our houses of worship, our houses of Congress, and unity back into the church. Let's be a Johnny Barnes. Let's bring a little happiness and joy into the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this past year, in fact, this past year and a half, it has taught us to take life seriously and to take it deeply to heart to surrender every moment to You. Holy Spirit, we ask You tonight to lead us clearly so that we will follow Your will. Show us the very specific areas the things that You desire us to pursue, and raise up Your purpose in us. Father, the needs, the darkness are great, but Your power and light are even greater. We long to serve You, be Your beloved people, so help us to make the most of every opportunity with everyone that we encounter that they may not walk away without experiencing You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay.